Well, hey, everyone, good to see you this weekend. In case we haven't met before, my name is John Alexander, and you picked a great weekend to be joining us, whether it's online or at a viewing group or one of the churches that stream our messages or in person at one of our locations, because today, as you saw, is our Make a Difference weekend. This is the weekend we come together as a church to make a difference in our communities and the world through your generosity in Jesus' name. I'll never forget the first time that I felt inspired to make a difference in the world. In fifth grade, this little red-haired kid named Evan Kirkpatrick, who was a bitter rival of mine in YMCA basketball, for whatever reason, in this small town, picked up the phone, yes, a telephone, to call me to invite me to attend a summer church camp at Mayfield Lake in Washington State, where I grew up. And that week at camp was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. 300 students together worshiping, listening to this inspiring preacher unpack the Bible in ways I'd never heard before and exploring what it meant to follow Jesus. And that week, I made a decision to follow Jesus. My heart was overwhelmed with the goodness and the love of God. And so on that final night of camp, my buddy Evan and I sat under this tree to talk about what Jesus had done that week. And honestly, to this day, I can remember the look of the tree that we sat by, the smell of the wind blowing off the lake and the feeling of that warm summer night air. And we talked about how we wanted our friends to had, have what we had found. We wanted the world to know about Jesus. And so maybe we were a little ahead of our time, but, but we sat there and we carved the initials M-A-D on rocks, short for make a difference. And we kept those rocks as a reminder that we wanted Jesus to use our lives to make a difference in the lives of others. And here I am 29 years later speaking on make a difference weekend. In many ways, even as far back as being in sixth grade, I've been hardwired to want to make a difference. But here's the overall premise of today's message. I don't think I'm unique. In fact, I think every person is hardwired to want to make a difference. There's a book by a chaplain who spent a lot of time with people during their last days on earth. By far, he said, the top two topics that dying people most often reflect on are relationships and impact. They'll wonder, one, did I have good relationships with people? And two, did I make a difference with the one life that I've been given? But here's the good news. We don't have to be dying to reflect on the importance of this question. Did I make a difference with the one life I've been given? Again, I think every person here if given a quiz with the question, do you want to make a difference in the world with your life? Check yes or no. I mean, every per person would check yes. Okay, maybe I'm naive, but, but if given a quiz like this, I don't think a single one of us would say, you know, no, <laughs> I, I'm good. I'll, I'll just, you know, I, as long as I just live for myself and make myself happy. No, I, no one would respond that way. Every person wants to make a difference. But there's at least two problems I see when it comes to making a difference in life. And the first problem is we don't know how. The second problem is we often don't do anything about it. See, desire just isn't enough. For example, I'm a 
desire to become more physically fit, but then first I need to know how. So to find out how, maybe I'll research all the latest, greatest CrossFit, Hotworks, F45, Kettlebell, Peloton workouts. Certainly, I can't be the only one who has sat there and watched YouTube videos breaking down whether this or that exercise helps you lose more weight or not. Am I the only one who's done that? Okay, I hope not. But at that point, maybe I've addressed problem one. I have more than enough how. But then often what happens is the second problem. See, I might become so overwhelmed with the how, all the options, that I actually do, well, nothing. None of it. And the same thing can happen with our desire to make a difference. Everyone may want to, but we may not know how. Then when we start researching the how, we often get so overwhelmed with options that we become paralyzed and do nothing. It's called analysis paralysis. We can overanalyze something to the point where we become paralyzed with indecision. I mean, think about how many issues we could all potentially care about. I mean, what are we going to do about homelessness? How about food insecurity? What about issues around the elderly, the loneliness epidemic, depression and anxiety amongst our youth? How about helping the incarcerated? Racial injustice, mental health support, drug addiction, or maybe it's more global issues like the war in Ukraine, the conflict in the Middle East, the Red Sea tension, maybe the African drought or natural disasters. But let's just keep going. 2024 election, healthcare, abortion, immigration, human trafficking, or the fact that artificial intelligence is going to take all of our jobs in the next five years. I mean, what's... What am I supposed to care enough about to make a difference? There's just a lot of issues that we could potentially care about. But then let's just assume that maybe we zero in on a few areas of concern. The next question becomes, what are we supposed to actually do to make a difference? I mean, should we post? Should should we volunteer? Uh, Maybe we should learn or fight. Maybe we got to write something. Talk, pray, think, give. I mean, anyone else feeling completely overwhelmed? Analysis, paralysis, so much to care about and a lot of things that we can do about it. But deep breath, (laughs) because thankfully, for everyone's sake, what we've tried to do for this one week is to make it as easy as possible to begin to make a difference. We've had teams of people who've spent countless hours with our local and global organizations and partners vetting their mission, their values, even their finances, hearing stories of impact that's happened in the past and the visions that they have for the future, all to cut through that analysis paralysis and ensure that we can make the most impact We possibly can. We've answered the how and the what as best as we can. Now, of course, we can't do it all, but we can all begin to do something. And according to Jesus, we have a responsibility to do so. I want to look at one of those scripture passages that 
frankly, I wish wasn't in the Bible. Now, don't hear me saying I'm wishing away God's word. That's not what I mean. What I mean is what we're about to look at feels harsh. It's difficult to read after reading to to not take a significant look in the mirror and wonder, is he talking about me? Sometimes with passages like what I'm about to read, we can either become dismissive, you know, no, he's not possibly talking about me, and that's not about me, or we get defensive. You know, I'm, I'm at least way better than that guy. Instead, what I'd encourage everyone is to just allow God's words to penetrate your heart like it has done with mine. Now, before we dive into Matthew 25, the context of this passage is judgment day. Each person is standing before God to give an account of their life, and Jesus divides these people into two groups. This is what it says in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36. He says to the first group, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And that's Jesus talking. At this point, everyone is confused listening. They're like, Jesus, we, we never saw you hungry, naked, or sick. What are you talking about? That's when Jesus gives the punchline to this parable. And he says in verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these, of, of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says to the second group, depart from me into eternal punishment. He says, you never gave or did anything for me when I was hungry, thirsty, naked, in prison, sick, and alone. And this group is confused as well. They're like, again, what are you talking about? We never saw you hungry thirsty or sick. And Jesus says in verses 45 and 46, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Again, I told you, this is hard hitting. Personally, I don't get dismissive or defensive. I get this shiver up my spine wondering, which group am I going to be in. Now, before we unpack this word, a a quick, uh, we unpack this a bit more, just a quick word about this, because if you're not familiar with, with the overarching narrative and story of scripture, it's important to understand what Jesus is not saying here in Matthew 25. Okay, he's not saying that we can be saved if we do enough for the poor or the least of these. He's not saying that. The Bible is very clear. We can't save ourselves. No matter how much good we do, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So no one, not one of us can boast about it. So we can't be saved by how much good we do. Yet Jesus is making it pretty clear We're going to be judged by what we do for the least of these. How do we reconcile these two thoughts? Ephesians 2, which is saved by grace, but but what Jesus is challenging us to consider to be judged by works. 
Well, the best way I've heard it taught is to think about two sides of the same coin. Okay, this is a quarter. You don't see a lot of these anymore, but this is a quarter. It has heads and tails. Often a coin will decide the fate of many football games, including the Super Bowl that's coming up. But no matter what side this coin is on, whether it's heads or tails, it's, it's still worth 25 cents. It's the same coin. It has the same value. Different sides, though. Again, saved by grace, judged by works. I like what Pastor Kyle Eidelman said. He said, our works are the evidence of our faith. Said in the context of Matthew 25, he says, our love for the least of these is not the cause of our salvation. Our love for the least of these is the effect or the evidence of our salvation. Now, the reason this theological truth is so critical for us to understand is because I don't believe that God wants us to be guilted into helping the least of these. Or I don't think he wants us to help the least of these because of our fear of eternal punishment. However, I also don't want to dismiss the weightiness, the challenge of Jesus's words. You know, I think in some ways I, I picture Jesus speaking like a coach who is trying to inspire and toughen his players and his followers. Marley, our eight-year-old daughter, she's learning to understand coaches. Now, currently, she loves any coach that will tell her how good she is, even if she was terrible, okay? She just wants that juice box flip side. She does not love the coaches who tell her that she needs to work harder and play better. She calls those coaches Mean and Emily and I, maybe to our detriment, we always side with the coaches. We tell her they're trying to make you better. That's their job. They want to inspire, push, and challenge you. Toughen up, kid. No juice box for you, okay, until you learn. <laughs> but in the same way, in Matthew 25, I, I picture Jesus like a coach. You know, he's wanting to inspire and push and challenge us as his followers, but this is no ordinary coach. You know this. This is Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who's teaching that there's going to be eternal judgments and rewards based on how we care for the least of these. But the way we care for these, the least of these isn't um, the way that we get saved. It's evidence of our salvation. As Christ followers, this should be part of our DNA. But even if you're not a Christ follower, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I bet, I know there's something in you that also makes a difference and desires to help those in need. I'm telling you, every person, because we've been created in the image of God, wants to make a difference. So how do we become people who make a difference and help those in need? Three ways. The first is soften your heart. Soften your heart. Speaking of Marley, in December, Emily surprised our family with a Christmas gift to go see Mrs. Doubtfire at the Orpheum. And after the show was over, it was 10.30 at night, and we walked out of the theater. And just to give you a picture, I was basically sprinting out of the theater to beat the rush and get home. I kind of left them in the dust in, in Minneapolis. I, again, it wasn't for them. It was for my sake. It was way past my bedtime. But Marley... Marley saw a man standing on the sidewalk as we exited. And this man was holding a sign that said, homeless. 
hungry and thirsty. Please help. By the way, if you didn't know this, Orpheum is just, you know, stone's throw from our Minneapolis campus, a church that I helped pastor. But what did I do? I didn't even notice the man. I just brushed right past him. But Marley walked a few steps past him and just broke down and started weeping. And not like little drops, these big, massive tears. And as she cried in her mom's arms, she wondered out loud where this man was going to sleep. And then she talked to Emily about what she could do. And so she took cash out of her wallet, which she passionately stores and collects. <laughs> but with tears streaming down her face, she handed the man a $5 bill and said, God bless. Her heart was tender and soft and open to doing what she could do to help the least of these while I just stood impatiently at my car. Now, how many of us are thinking, well, that's not wise. Handing a person on the street cash is more hurtful than helpful, probably just gonna use it to feed an addiction. And I'd be lying if I hadn't passed by someone on the street with those exact same thoughts. And certainly we could argue about whether this is helpful or hurtful, but what has stuck with me and honestly, probably something I'll never forget and never want her to lose was how soft and tender her heart was towards the least of these. So let me ask you, how tender is your heart? How, how soft is your heart towards the least of these? The way that we're gonna make a difference in the world is first by allowing God to soften our hearts towards those who need it the most. So take a moment and just do a little heart check. Ask yourself, do I assume that they're hungry and thirsty because you know they got what was coming to them? Or are they a human being created in the image of God who deserves better? Maybe we think, well, I'm a good person who God's rewarding, and they're just a bad person who God's cursing. Has my heart become so cynical that we think, what good are my meager offerings of money, time, prayers, or even conversation? I can't do anything to move the needle. I can't do anything to make a significant difference. So what's the point? Let me remind you of what 1 John says. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus sacrificed all of himself for us. And let me tell you, you're not that good. And neither am I. And so he continues. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I mean, it's convicting. I just brushed right past him. Thankfully, my daughter showed me what it was like to have a tender and soft heart. Our love for the least of these is evidence of the love of God in us. So again, how soft is your heart towards those in need? Second way we can make a difference is to open, open your hands. Now, I've got a little illustration, and I've chosen campus pastor here at Lionel Lakes, Andrew Herman, to play catch. And I'm a little worried about this because I don't know if he can actually catch and throw, okay? This is, we're testing him a little bit. So we're going to play catch. You ready, Andrew? Don't even look at him, okay? Just, I'm worried. He's nervous, all right? We're going to play catch. 
Great, good catch. Good throw. Yes, good. Okay, great. My hands are open. This is easy to play catch. Now hold the ball. All right, now notice what happens when my hands are closed. Throw me the ball here. I can't catch it. And if I went to pick it up, I couldn't pick up the ball or throw the ball back. The point of that illustration, when my hands are closed and gripped around my money, my possessions, my resources, I become unwilling to pass it along and share it with others. James 5 warns strongly against gripping too tightly to our resources, also known as hoarding. Look what James writes. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Now dismissive, I'm not rich. But let me ask you, do you drive a car? Do you live in a home? Do you have enough money to buy food? You're rich, I'm rich. Your wealth has rotted, he says. And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Again, defensive, I don't hoard. Okay, I just needed to make sure that I had enough toilet paper in 2020 to last a decade. I just had to <laughs> stockpile. I'm still working through it, okay? Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Again, tough words, tough but when I'm focused on myself, my resources, what I'm hoarding for my life, my hands are closed. I'm living in luxury and self-indulgence. What happens then? I become unwilling to open my hands enough to, to share it with others. But Proverbs 28, 27 says, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. In other words, there's this inverse countercultural truth about generosity that God's word teaches over and over. And it's this, the more that we open our hands to bless and give, the more we will receive. Now, let me be very clear. We don't believe in what's called the prosperity gospel. I don't believe it. This church doesn't believe it, which teaches that we got to give to God so that we can receive. If we just give $59.99, God's going to bless us you know, with a 200% return. No, no that's, that's un unbiblical. God is not a genie in a bottle. However, I cannot deny, both from the truth of Scripture and the experiences in my own life, that the more I hoard, the less they have, and then the less I have. Inversely, the more I give, the more they have, and then somehow, some way, the more that I have, whether that's immaterially or materially. So if we're gonna make a difference, we gotta open our hands to share it with others. Third and final way, we gotta do something. See, when you allow God to soften your heart and then and open your hands, just do something. 1 Timothy 6, 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Notice that word command. It's not ask. It's not hope. It's command. Command is strong. God is clear. We are responsible to do something. And let me tell you, church, this church, which is made up of people all across the Twin Cities and the Midwest, this church has continued to step up in generous 
and big ways. So I want you to see a video of how your willingness to do something has already made a massive difference. Take a look at this video. Hi, I'm Tyler Gregory, executive pastor here at Eaglebrook. We know that Eaglebrook is a big church, and because of that, we have an opportunity to do big things. In 2023, you gave millions to make a difference, and every penny was given away to 24 different organizations. These organizations were carefully chosen because of their excellence in the categories of serving the community, supporting people in crisis, and strengthening the global church. Now, I don't know if you know this, but since 2018, each of our Eaglebrook locations has been linked with a local partner that has proven to be successful at serving their community. Let's take a look at some of these organizations and see how your generosity was able to make a difference for them last year. Well, at Spring Lake Park, our partner is The Dwelling Place. And The Dwelling Place is a Christ-centered ministry providing services and safe housing for victims of domestic abuse. Last year, we funded the renovation of two houses to be used for residential programming, and every bedroom is now full. One of the people that have been helped is Hannah, who had been severely abused when she came to The Dwelling Place with her two daughters. And while she was healing and getting back on her feet, she said, for the very first time, I didn't have to think about my abuser. I didn't have to think about anything, just me and my girls. I thank God that they were able to help me. Our Lionel Lakes and White Bear Lake locations support Union Gospel Mission Twin Cities. They use Christ-centered programs to address the root causes of homelessness and addiction, knowing that the good news of the gospel can provide hope and healing to a person's mind, body, and soul. In 2023, Eaglebrook helped expand their chapel ministry, mental health services, adult education, and career training programs. Leonard served as a police officer for 17 years before he was injured while on duty. He found himself destitute, jobless, and homeless. But Union Gospel Mission has a saying that hope begins with a meal. And when Leonard came to the mission, he said they provided everything I needed. Leonard took advantage of all the opportunities they offered to him, including Bible studies, to grow his faith. He says, I see a bright future ahead, and I'm living proof that if you apply yourself at the mission, you can achieve anything. At Anoka, our partner is Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. They exist to help men, women, and teens gain freedom from chemical addictions and other life-controlling problems by addressing their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Last year, they graduated more people than ever before, in part because of the scholarship money we offered for people who were in need. People like Panya, who wrote us to say, I've been in the Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge long-term program for four months. Before coming here, I was facing 49 months in prison. The judge said I was a failure, never going to change, and not able to be a member of society. But Teen Challenge came to jail with applications. I filled one out and I was accepted. Since coming here, I have gotten restoration with my family and my kids. Thanks to donors like you, I am able to be one out of many lives that keeps being saved. Our partner at Woodbury is good in the hood. Their mission is to bring basic resources to those in need and to act with kindness to demonstrate God's love in practical ways. Last year, Eaglebrook helped open a ministry site in the North Minneapolis community. 
Several churches and ministries who are struggling to make ends meet are able to use the facility for meetings, services, office space, community outreach, and special events. One person said, having Good in the Hood programming in our neighborhood has been a blessing. The need is plentiful in our community and you came with your sleeves rolled up, ready to serve. Blaine's partner FreedomWorks is a comprehensive, faith-based re-entry and recovery program for those released from incarceration, leading to life transformation in Jesus and reconciling to God, family, and community. In the past year, Eaglebrook helped launch the third phase of a culinary training program called Jailbreakers. A FreedomWorks staffer said, the participants that were once serving time are now finding renewed purpose serving others. Through collective action and compassion, we're making a positive difference in the world and bringing hope to those who need it most. Our other campus partners include Urban Ventures, New Life Family Services, Mobile Hope, and Lex Specialty Center. You can find the full list of the organizations we support at eaglebrookchurch.com slash make a difference. I'm just so proud of this church and proud of your generosity. It continually blows my mind. Every year, you give sacrificially so that our partners can make God-sized goals a reality and impact communities for Christ, both in our backyard and around the world. I know together we are making a difference, and I can't wait to see what God will do through us this year. Yeah, you're such a generous church. I mean, what if, what if we just, yeah, you can celebrate. amazing to hear what God has already done. What if we just decided to do something even more right now? Think about the impact we could make in organizations like Convoy of Hope. A couple years ago, we faced this long stretch where there seemed to be one disaster or tragedy after another, and each time our church would feel compelled to respond and help in some way, so would many of you. We were often asked, what are you going to do about the tornado relief in or the hurricane recovery, or the flooding. After always feeling like we were falling short, we discovered Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is a faith-based humanitarian organization whose driving passion is to feed the world and deliver hope and resources where it's needed most. And I gotta tell you, Convoy of Hope is always there. Anytime there's a tragedy or a disaster, as a church, you can rest assured that we are doing something about it because Convoy is there responding, helping, cleaning, giving, supporting, and mobilizing resources. Phenomenal organization. Think also about the difference we can make in an organization like Five Stone Media. Five Stone Media take Jesus' command to love, care for, and help those who are incarcerated seriously. Because of the years they've spent building relationships and partnerships with correctional facilities across the Midwest, last summer, we put on a full worship experience at the Faribault Correctional Facility. And we left with this open invitation to come to more statewide facilities in the future. Furthermore, several prisons now host viewing groups who watch our messages and services together. And all of the prison systems stream Eagle Brook online on their faith channel. One story I got to tell you, when we opened our Minneapolis campus in September, a man introduced himself named Trey and said he'd been watching our services in prison earlier that year. And once released, while walking around Minneapolis, he couldn't believe 
that there was an Eagle Brook location so close. And so Trey began to attend every week this fall and, and ended up inviting a friend. That friend, Javon, continued to come with him week after week. And then Javon made a first-time decision to follow Jesus over Christmas and came down front to celebrate with our phenomenal campus pastor down there, John Taylor, and then get this, Javon is going to be baptized next weekend. That's celebrate, that's worth celebrating too. And this all started because Trey was introduced to Jesus through Five Stone Media's efforts to get faith-based content into those facilities. So what if we could bless Five Stone enough with even more resources? to get into more correctional facilities and help those incarcerated experience the love of Jesus. Final one, what if we can impact an organization like Healing Haiti? Healing Haiti is a Christ-centered ministry that leverages resources to elevate and unify Haitian families so that the cycle of poverty is broken and the fabric of their community is strengthened all in Jesus' name. Despite how difficult it has been to operate in Haiti the last couple of years, and if you've been paying attention, extremely difficult. Healing Haiti has been there taking ground for Christ. They are a true light in extreme darkness. And I could go on. We have 24 local and global organizations that we are partnering with, no analysis, paralysis. We've done the hard work so that we can all just do something. And even if it doesn't feel like much, don't let that stop you. When there's a whole bunch of us who are coming together, whether that's with $5, $10, 50 5000 some of you can do a whole lot more. When we all come together, no matter how small or insignificant it might feel, God can use us to make a massive difference. And so we are going to challenge our entire church Everything you give to the Make a Difference Fund between now and Friday, February 9th at midnight is just going to go outside of these walls so that we can bless these partners, these organizations who are caring for the least of these in exceptional ways. Now, my wife Emily and I have been praying and talking about how much we're going to give later. We're going to connect later this weekend to talk about it and and I'm gonna ask her, you know, how, hey, Emily, how, uh, how inspired were you by the message? And <laughs> how, much, how much would you like to give? You know, it's kind of like a trick question in there. No, but just letting you know, our, our whole family is in this together with you as we sacrifice our resources to give to the least of these. So here's how you can do it. You can text the word give to 77888. You can stop by in the lobby at a kiosk to use debit, credit card. There's blue envelopes where you can drop off check or cash, or you can go online, eaglebrookchurch.com give. As you leave today at one of our locations, you'll be handed a card with a QR code, but you have from now until Friday, February 9th. Anytime you give to this church, a portion of those dollars are going to these organizations, but this is the week where we just, everything we get goes outside these walls to bless partner organizations. But that's it. I love you, church. You're so generous. Don't miss the opportunity to make a difference, and don't miss next weekend as we continue to see God move in our church. Let me pray for everyone, then I'll send you off. Heavenly Father, we're grateful. 
We, we're grateful that we have an opportunity to make a difference. And God, you know our hearts. You know what's in there. You know what is a stretch or a challenge or what what's just feels like kind of worth tossing things aside. And I pray, God, within our hearts, you would challenge us. It's not about comparison. It's not about what that person can do or this person can do. It's God, what, what you put on our heart to generously give to those in need. This is an act of spiritual warfare. We are giving you our resources so that you can multiply them, even if it feels countercultural or it goes against the grain of what we're normally taught. God, we pray that you would use our resources to multiply and bless um, in the lives of people who will receive them. Thank you for sending your son as the ultimate sacrifice. And now I pray that as a church, we would step forward and contribute to making a massive difference in the lives of people in Jesus' name. We love you. We're grateful for this opportunity. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, church, let's go make a difference. Don't miss this opportunity.